feel like we, I think we have talked before um, in like branch meetings, but I don't know if we've ever met face to face. And so it's, it's, this isn't face to face either, but still, it's right. great to talk. <laughs> it, well, it, it's better than nothing. Better um, than nothing we, yeah. we probably have met face to face. I'm, I'm terrible with names. Um, I sometimes forget people in my own band. I think Eric actually talked about this yeah. well, <laughs> when you, you interviewed you, him. But yes. Wasatch and District might be the only band where that's perfectly understandable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> there might be people in your band you haven't even met yet, Mark, so that's okay. That, that, there, is, there is that, yes. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, our community is small. I'm sure we have come across each other before. Yeah, but it's yeah, great yeah. to be able to talk. Um, and so first, first on my docket here, the first thing I want to <laughs> know, how do you pronounce your last name? My last name is pronounced Pekkonen. Well, that's not as bad as I thought it would be, Pekkonen. It's, um, it's a Finnish name, and um, in general, when you pronounce Finnish words, the first syllable gets a little accent on it, like stress. So Pekkonen is how you say it, yeah. Well, now, I'm, now my, my brain is racing trying to think of a really great joke, you know, to use the word Finnish instead of the word finished. <laughs> but I'm, I'm too sluggish right now, I can't think of anything. Oh, you're all good. We, um, we once um, had a themed Christmas dinner, called I'm Finnish with Christmas, and um, oh, nice. <laughs> uh, we made all Finnish dishes for it. It was good. <laughs> what, what are Finnish dishes? Uh, I feel like fish? Like Yes, fish yes, absolutely, them? yeah. Like, step one is procure a large quantity of salmon, pretty much. I <laughs> yeah. see, yeah, that makes sense. And then, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's a lot of fish, but it's also sort of, the, on that, that's sort of a light side, but on a darker, heavier side, it's a lot of rye bread and kind mm. of like more stodgy stuff. It's kind of a weird blend, actually. Mm. I don't mind it. It's good. Have you ever spent any time in Finland? I've never been. I'd like to. Yeah. Was I'd, it, I'd, you, you did. You mentioned to me before. Was it your mother or no? Your father's side, right? Of course, you got the last name. <laughs> right, but it yes. wasn't your father who was born in Finland, right? It was a generation further. That's correct. It was his father. Yes. So I my see. grandfather was born in Finland. Got kind of tangled up in the um, in the Finnish-Russian war that occurred right after the end of the First World War, mm-hmm. and was brought back to. Uh, the UK by some British soldiers who were out there helping the Finns fight the Russians. Yeah, but I guess it was the Soviets at that point. Um, and um, careful because some, <laughs> someone might be listening that would be offended. So <laughs> they, they might be, but yeah, it is what it is. And yeah, so yeah. The, the British soldiers, in a rather strange manner, just suggested that they bring this boy who they thought was orphaned back to the UK. So they did. No and, way. Um, it turned out later they were that he just wasn't. like put him on the boat. Just we'll just they take took him, him with us. They brought him back. Yes, yeah. I have I have copies of the letters that they wrote. It was very strange. They they wrote a letter to their commanding officer saying, "Please, may we take this boy home?" And the commanding officer wrote them a letter back, like a permission slip, saying, "Sure." Like and, a um, puppy. They're yeah, just like, yeah. Look, We found this kid. We want to take him home. We'll exactly, take care yes. of him. We promise. We'll feed him and water him every day. He can exactly. sleep next to our cot. That was wow. that was pretty much it. Yeah, and it. it, it so they brought him back, and then um, apparently upon return, the soldier who'd requested it, his wife said, well, absolutely not, <laughs> because he hadn't already consulted with her. And so a different family took him on, and he was raised from the age of seven in the UK as kind of a, a British, like, English country boy, basically. And so wow. um, so because of that, I have this weird Finnish name, um, but which I otherwise but wouldn't have. Very, uh, across multiple generations, very culturally British, huh? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Aside but that, that, isn't that, that that's got to say something about like a man's brain too? That he's like, well, I checked with my commanding officer, sweetie. Why isn't this okay with you? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we're talking about like nineteen nineteen here now. Yeah. Right? So, you know, what was uh, what was thought to be logical and acceptable back then was right, uh, yeah. quite different, especially yeah. since we just come out of the First World War, which was neither logical nor acceptable, really. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, let's get deep right now, man. Let's talk. <laughs> 
Hey, actually, that's it, it's a it's an obscure thing, but like lately, music wise, some some of the folk music that came out of uh, Finland and 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 out, and out of Russia and and um, uh, what is that? Belarus is that little country that's west of Russia? Um, um, up in that corner, you're talking about places like Estonia and Lithuania, right? Estonia and, and stuff, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the music that came out of that time in that part of the world is really is really digging its way into my ear lately. There's some Interesting, beautiful yeah. folk music from out there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so that's okay. So we got we got started. We got started with one side of the family, but the other <laughs> side of the family, you got you got some Scotland coming into you, right? Indeed. Yes. Yeah. It's um. Is that the same kind of story? Did someone get uh, kidnapped and brought across no one was, to no, no one that I'm aware of was yeah. kidnapped. Um, um, the Scottish side of my family. Um, sort of is on my mother's side, um, and it sort of came from various parts of Scotland. The part I know the most about is on my mother's father's side, because uh, they were um, they were MacFees, and uh, they had a lot of money, eventually. I mean, they didn't initially, when they were just Highlanders, they were poor as dirt, but as, as were so many. Mm-hmm. Um, but as time went by, and the MacFees kind of moved into the city, um, or my branch of the family, anyway, became... Um, they got into like the whale oil business in the 1700s, which mm-hmm. I think I gather was quite big. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, gas lighting replaced um, whale oil, like oil lamps. Mm-hmm. And so when that happened, they got out of the whale oil business and got into sugar refining. Oh, gotcha. And um, they became quite wealthy. So um, there was kind of a McPhee's was a brand of sugar that was quite prevalent um, kind of right through the 1800s and into the early 1900s. Um, um, and so, yeah, so I know more about that family because rich people tended to have their lives documented a little bit better than yeah, poor people, course. right? <laughs> yeah. So um, I can trace that back quite nicely. But the, all of the other um, portions of my family on my mother's side are, are Scottish, either Highland or Lowland to mm-hmm. some, some extent or another. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I don't want to skip ahead to the, to the Christmas gag that brought you into bagpiping, but let, we'll put a pin <laughs> in that and then uh, okay. I want to circle back to it. Um, sure. So, so that, so those are the the streams that ran together to bring us mm-hmm. what the, the the man that is uh, Mark <laughs> Pekinen. Um But you yeah. were, were you were born in England then, right? Uh huh. Yeah, I lived in England in until I was. Did you just go to school in Bath? Uh, I was born in uh, not far from Bath, but um, I uh, I grew up. I was born in a town called Sirencester, which was an old Roman town originally. Cool. Um, it's that's about um, it's about two hours to the west of London, which a bath is also actually, they're not too yeah. far apart. Um, so I grew up there. It's a sort of, it's a little country town. It, it, it's probably comparable in size to Logan, mm-hmm. I would say, if you wanted a point of reference. But with Roman ruins. But with Roman ruins throughout, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, that. So, um, yeah, so I grew up, um, it just, it's a sort of a quiet rural town. Um, and then uh, when it came time to go to university, I chose... Bath University, which also is, which is a very you know also a very ancient Roman town, and then became a big Regency town where um, people would go to um, take, take the water. waters. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the whole Jane Austen thing, of course, is yeah. from that time period as well. If I ever yeah. get a chance to go to England, that is one of the stops I'm going to make is Bath, and I'm gonna I'm definitely going to put on full on re- uh, Regency regimentals. Um, <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> because I, I I know what catches my wife's eye, and it's a red coat. Right. There you and, go. Uh, and I'm we're gonna go take the waters for sure. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty gross actually. <laughs> oh great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they've only become gross after hundreds of years of people. Yeah. You know, uh, I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Double dipping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe they once were what they promised to be. 
Yeah, I actually. So I, I went to university in Bath, so, um, yeah. but I had a break in the middle of that to go to Scotland. Actually, I worked. I oh, lived and worked in Scotland uh, because I did an intern year. It was part of my degree. Um, so I actually, although I, I mean, I'd never actually. Uh, I'd been to Scotland once on vacation prior to that, but that was my first actual sort of immersion into Scotland. Was when I was, I guess, the year I turned twenty-one. And since um, then, yeah. obviously, you've moved around a bit because now you're in Utah. But at the mm-hmm. time. And, you know, for, for me, looking from here over across the Atlantic, uh, on a, from this angle, shoot, they blend into the same landmass, really, you know. But uh, for you, was that at 21, was it at all a culture shock to be going from England to Scotland? Was it a big difference? It was a huge culture shock, and it was also one that I wasn't prepared for mm. because I, like, I actually had the same sort of outlook as you just mentioned. I thought, well, you know, it's just Scotland. It can't be that different from, right. from here. Um, I think the reason it was such a big culture shock is because I, when I moved there, I became aware of how much poverty there was in Scotland, oh. and I and my rural town where I'd grown up just didn't have anything like that. It was yeah. both rural and well well off, reasonably well off. Not one of those rural so when towns. Yeah, when I moved to Scotland, um, I was working for BP. Um, I think they're still around. It's an oil company, um, and they had an oil refinery, uh, which which is where I worked, and. Um, uh, so I lived in a small town next to it called Bowness, and um, it was just uh, it. It was the nineteen late eighties, so the unemployment of the, you know the Thatcher era had really bitten hard in Scotland. The, m- many many people were out of work. There was a lot of poverty, a lot of drug use, a lot of crime, and um, there I was, you know, going from my comfortable middle class existence to live in what just felt like the third world country. It was like yeah. pretty shocking, actually. <laughs> yeah. You know, and not to make light of the suffering that was happening at the time, but and and maybe this is maybe this is inaccurate. You know, this is somewhat ignorant because, of course, I I grew up over here. I don't know exactly what it would have been like there, but it seems to me like that um, that poverty of the mid to late '80s, though of course being difficult, is also part of sort of like the 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 soil in which was planted some of the coolest punk music that like ever existed. Would would that have happened if it weren't for hardship? I wonder. You know, I know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, lining. I, I think. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Let's look at it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's. Yeah. There's no question that you know um, that that kind of unrest and sort of misery breeds you know uh, resistance, mm-hmm. and um, you know the UK in the 1980s was a hotbed of creativity and resistance yeah. because of what was going on there. And yeah, you're right. There was. Um, it was actually. Although it was a culture shock being there, it was one of the best years of my life mm. being there too, because I completely immersed myself in that whole scene. Yeah, um, and this is you know pre pre bagpiping, which is kind of right, ironic, right? right? right. <laughs> but yeah, I was exactly. Yeah, if I had a nickel. <laughs> so, but yes, I um, I was totally engrossed in that. I've always been involved in music from when I from before I could remember almost so um, uh, yes but not funky of, music yeah. tell me about your uh, your your boyhood uh, choir boy days yeah so I I grew up um, uh, singing in the parish church choir in that rural town I told you about it had a very enormous um, uh, parish church it was almost the size of a cathedral actually very wealthy they were that's awesome and um, yeah I started singing in that church choir from the age of six um, the choir director it was was his name was uh, Reverend John Beck. Um, he was probably the biggest influence on my young musical life of, of anyone, mm. I would say, um, because there I was under his tutelage from the age of just about six or seven, acting really brilliantly. 
and to sing very difficult music. And so he threw us, he threw a very difficult, challenging repertoire at us. Yeah. And so week in, week out, we were learning, you know, Latin masses from people like, you know, Mozart and Haydn and Bach. And um, we sang the full kind of range of really the most difficult English choral music that there is. Now, and, if, I'm yeah. a, if I'm imagining young Mark singing in this choir, mm -hmm. we're, if the image that comes to my mind is a, a, a young boy with a bowl cut and wearing choir robes and singing falsetto, is that far off the mark or is that about it's right? It's exactly the mark. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, the, the, the choir rehearsed three, three times a week and sang two services on Sundays. So wow. I was, uh, it was a very big time commitment as well. Yeah. So I was, complete, I was more focused on, uh, on singing at that age than I was on my schoolwork because I spent yeah. just so much time there. So the, on the, the plus side, you know, it's like when you learn a language at a young age, you become fluent quite quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to sight read from like anything pretty much from the age of eight, I would say. Yeah, um, and, I mean, and that's also an intense turnaround or, or turnover of repertoire there. Yeah, and as it turned out, once I became a piper, you know, the new thing was to memorize music, which I'd not had to do before. Mm -hmm. However, I found that because I could sight read in a, and I was such a sponge that I've never had a problem learning tunes fairly quickly and then retaining them sort of forever. Yeah. So um, it, it definitely helped me out later. Once so I got so all Bible. parents listening, get your kids in with an intense choir now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, get into music as soon as you possibly can. Yeah. You'll, you'll never regret it. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, assuming that you have good, good teachers and whatnot. Yeah, of course. Of course. There's the, uh, what, was that, that, what was that great film? Uh, uh, now I can't remember the name of it with the drum teacher who was insane and abusive. <laughs> of course, <laughs> there are different ways of teaching, I suppose. There are different ways of doing it. Yeah. I was fortunate. I didn't have that kind of experience. It was, yeah. it was relentlessly positive. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Well, that's awesome. So music moving along with you from, from England into Scotland. Mm -hmm. how, how the heck did you end up in Utah? I ended up in Utah um, through happenstance. <laughs> um, in, Don't get me in, wrong. I love Utah. I was born here and I love it, but... Like how the heck, you know? Yeah, what, yeah. What so um, it wasn't a choice to come here. It was sort of the, the it 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 fell into my lap, I guess. You know, yeah. I I I was traveling um, in the U.S. in 1993. Mm -hmm. um, so what was I 28 at that time? I was traveling in the U.S. and um, uh, I was traveling up the West Coast. And while I was visiting. Uh, a national park called Crater Lake National Park. Mm. I bumped into a woman who I fell into conversation with. And as we drove around the um, lake, we kept stopping at the same overlooks because that's what happened. There's only one road there, right? So once you start driving, you're going to keep stopping at the same point as the person that started at the same time as you. Mark, you're, you're building a cinematic image in my mind. <laughs> beautiful scenery, yeah. a beautiful girl. You yeah. keep seeing her, this meet-cute moment yeah. from the, the rom-com. It was the best meet-cute, yeah. So uh, by the end of the... Um, uh, the drive around the lake, we established that there were all these things we had in common. We, you mentioned the t my time in Scotland. She'd yeah. actually worked in Scotland at the same time that I did, also oh, for B also for BP. Really? <laughs> um, although she had been in their Glasgow office, mm -hmm. um, and she she'd come over to England or to Scotland for a year and England to just to have a year, you know, to, to experience the country. Sure. And um, so we ended up we were working there at the same time, although we'd never bumped into each other. How funny. Um, we had the similar interests. We, you know, you mentioned the punk music. We were both into that. We, um, we both were knitters. And, um, no way. When did you start knitting, Mark? <laughs> I had started knitting just a few years before that. Yeah, as, as an fun adult. Or was it therapy? It was because I really wanted to be able to knit. That That's was literally cool. just it. And my mother was a very, very good knitter, and she yeah. showed me how because I, I 
I, I, I pleaded with her to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we had all these things in common. We, we, we traded addresses and went our separate ways. And, um, you know, one thing led to another and we ended up getting married. And, um, so, um, how, and how she's from, longer, she's, how long transpired between meeting at this beautiful, at this beautiful lake and then, uh, getting married? Well, no, it wasn't very long. We, she told me I should visit her. She was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. Uh-huh. She told me I should visit her on the way back to the U.K. because I was on this world trip. I was on my way to New Zealand, actually, to visit other family members. Mm. So um, I, I visited her on the way back to, to Washington. And, you know, we, it still clearly was, a, was going well. <laughs> yeah. And so, I said, so that was, like, for about a week. And, um, so then I, and then I flew back to the U.K., and so I told her she should come and visit me in the UK, which she did, and uh, we got engaged that that the first day she arrived. <laughs> so well, I guess we why spent. Why not? If it ain't broke, <laughs> don't fix it, right? Yeah, we'd spent six. We'd spent exactly six days, I think, in other's, each other's company at that point in time when we got engaged. So, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah, and that was you know what twenty seven years ago. So and we, we got married the following year, and we're st- we're, st- um, we're, st- we're still married now. It's like there you yeah, go. good for us. <laughs> That's awesome, Mark. What a but great story. I, I should say she is from Utah originally, though, and that you asked why Utah. Right, that's the reason that's right. why. Because she's I from here. I forgot yeah. why. I got swept up in the romance. <laughs> <laughs> she um she she grew up here, um, and um, when I met her up in Oregon, she was just there. Um, she she was taking a detour because she had been at a conference. So professionally, she's a folk. She was a folklorist. Really. And um, she had been at a folklore conference, and after it was over, she just decided to go and you know do some sightseeing. That um, is so, so cool. Yeah. Man, if, yeah. if I can ever muster up the, the time and resources to, to go to school, that's folklorism is precisely what I am most interested in. Yeah, that's, well, that's, that's very cool. I can see from your interests that that, that would make sense, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're very, she, you're very she was, perceptive. <laughs> when I met her, she, had just, she was just finishing um, kind of a, a, a job at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, and she was getting ready to go back to graduate school. Um, so she was professionally a folklorist, but getting ready to become a student again. So she went back to school to get her PhD. And, um, so she was just getting ready to move to Buffalo, New York. Mm. So, um, to do her PhD there. So, so when we got married, I, I moved to to Buffalo Mm. with her. So for the first 10 years of our marriage, that's where we lived. And then after 10 or so years, we moved, she, we moved back here to Utah where she grew up. And so that's where we've been ever since. So I feel like all I ever hear about Buffalo is that it's very cold. It is cold. Yep. It's, There's it's not more to so it much. than that, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not really colder than here. Yeah. But um, but it stays colder for longer. Is, yeah. is what I found. Like the here, the spring shows up in sort of March, yeah. maybe April. But in Buffalo, it would just the ice and snow would drag on right through May. Winter to summer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 more pleasant here. The cold is sort of a little more tightly bound. <laughs> yeah. You know, Mark, when you when you first started telling me about your life, I thought that I wanted to be you because your life sounds so fun. But now I think I'd rather be your wife because her life <laughs> sounds really cool, okay. and then I could be married to you, so I'd get everything. Oh, wow, it'd be oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll keep you posted, but we're good for now. Things are going well so far, so yeah, so right. yeah, yeah. Maybe in another twenty-seven years we can review. Right. But yeah. so, was it in Buffalo that you picked up the pipes? It was actually yes, yeah. So it was while I was there, sort of towards the tail end of our day there, I suppose. Yeah. But yes, yeah. I, I kind of fell into that. Yeah, and that's so, where I learned. Yeah, and so how did how did that happen? You're you're um, not exactly Scottish mother made a mistake I think is what, what, she, is um, that what she would say <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I'd characterize it as a mistake she always <laughs> my mother was always a, 
could give you good presents, right? She she yeah. she came up with these funny like gifts that were often a bit quirky. Yeah. And one particular year, she sent me this box, and in it was a was a like a brown practice chanter mm-hmm. and a CD that said "Teach Yourself the Bagpipes." And um, she told me that she thought it might be fun or funny or both. Um, just because of our Scottish background and and because of my musical background, she thought it would make sense. And so just it was sort of partly a joke, but not completely joking. It was like, you know, it was well tailored, I guess, to my, you know, my, my interests. <laughs> yeah. So I got this thing and um, I started to sort of play around with it. This, the, the CD was just terrible. It had yeah. some, like, it was, it was, and it was like a very poor quality practice chanter. I mean, honestly, this thing probably, splinters, metal, yeah, the thing probably cost, cost 10 bucks, I yeah. bet you, right? It was probably, you know, it really wasn't, it wasn't high quality at all. Yeah. And the, um, and I remember that the little music book that came with it had no grace notes in it either. So oh, really? it wasn't really a, a bona fide piping book at yeah. all. Um, so, uh, I played around with this thing for, for a few months, I guess. And I was, I thought, you know, this is kind of fun, but I, it doesn't seem like it's really leading me anywhere. Yeah. And so I thought, well, what do I, how do I take this to the next level if I wanted to, to take it more seriously? And so there was a Highland Games going on just in the Buffalo area. And I decided I'll just go there and I'll ask someone because there's probably someone there who knows. Bound to be a piper there, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, there, sure enough, you know, there were pipe bands there. And I went up to one of them and uh, I introduced myself to the pipe major of the band. And I said, you know, I, here's, here I am. I've got this thing. I don't really know what to do with it. And it's, what could you recommend? And he said, well, come to me for lessons. And so um, his name was uh, Joe Barschnagel. Um, he was a firefighter in the in the Buffalo slash Niagara Falls area. <laughs> I can't say that. Joe Barschnagel <laughs> is just the best upstate New York firefighter <laughs> name I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, great. That's, that's he's perfect. actually a, he's actually of Swiss extraction originally, but his uh, his, gotcha. his his family had lived in in Buffalo for several generations. But, well, it sounds yeah, about he, right. <laughs> he had, he had been part of the Buffalo piping scene for quite a, quite some time, and um, uh, he had. He had played in quite a few competitive bands, but then he'd gotten kind of tired of the of the sort of grind of competing, uh-huh. and so he'd started his own band that was more like a performance band. So oh, they so would it do concerts. It wasn't exactly a service band. It was so it wasn't it wasn't exclusively tied to his firefighting. I mean. No, it was just it just so happened he was a firefighter, and to, yeah, he he was actually a volunteer firefighter, and so when, in the middle of my lessons, his pager would go off, and he would just suddenly just drop everything and run out the door and. I'd, I'd have to just sort of leave and come back yeah. next week. <laughs> you just had your own key. Just Pretty much, yeah. 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 But he was a very patient man. He like, and he, you know, he actually, you know, he threw away my um my CD and my terrible book, and you know, gave me the. Um, it's kind of too bad. It'd be funny relics to to be able to show today. Wouldn't yeah, it? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. Yeah, it's that's gone now. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but and then um you know I, I struggled along with that chanter for a little bit, but then after a while I got myself an actual you know real practice chart yeah i'd imagine you <laughs> and, could um, tell the difference yeah. huh oh yeah 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 and of course things went much better once once i had that and so yeah and then you know he helped me get to the point where i could get my pipes and which i did and so he helped me get up on pipes and and i played with that band um for two or three years i suppose until we left left buffalo yeah and you mentioned that you had previously played oboe saxophone stuff like that mm-hmm. do, you, do you feel like that uh made a big difference in being able to learn pipes quickly um it had been a while since I played it, either of those, actually. So there'd been enough time to sort of forget some of the things. Mm-hmm. It it did feel weird. Yeah. Um, I, I I didn't find that... I found that the singing, the skills I'd learned from singing were more transferable than the mm-hmm. skills I'd learned from playing those other two instruments you mentioned, the oboe and yeah. the saxophone, I think, in gotcha. the end. 
Oh, it's yeah. just interesting. I, 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 I had known a few people who have picked up pipes who, if they'd previously played clarinet or something like that, the dexterity in their fingers was helpful. But I've also known some that it's like, it's like the it's only the second language instead of the third language, you know. And so it's like maybe to some degree actually a speed bump because you want to play your bagpipes like a clarinet. You know what I mean? So. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, so for anyone who's played a wind instrument knows that you have to tongue the instrument right mm-hmm. to make the to make the the note sound. So you yeah. you tap the you tap the mouthpiece with your tongue, and that's how you separate the notes, right? Or if you want to play more staccato, mm-hmm. and of course that does absolutely nothing on pipes. And so you have to learn how to do that with grace notes. Yeah. And that's completely it. it for me, that was a wildly different um, skill mm-hmm. from anything I'd learned playing those two wind instruments. And so yeah. I didn't find them. I didn't find them all that transferable, funnily enough. Yeah. Yeah. Did your mother, um, was your mother very pleased that you became a piper or uh, did, was it a surprise to her? Or how, um, how did that receive? Yeah, I think, I think, <laughs> please, I think she was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, she's, she's, she'd watched me from a young age develop as a musician. So this was just like watching the same kind of loop mm-hmm. occur again. So, um, uh, yeah, I think she was, she was very happy that I'd done that, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think my dad <laughs> was also a little bit, you know, bemused by it, perhaps. Yeah. But um, he's my dad is actually a classical composer, so he's not all that interested in folk music, which he would mm. consider bagpiping to be. Sure. Yeah. Um, so um, you know, I think he was a little bit. I mean, he was happy that I did it, of course, but he was not super engaged with the music. Maybe of the he pipes. was more excited about the choir days early on, huh? <laughs> well, to some extent, yeah. I mean, he was he. I said that my choir director is my biggest musical influence. Yeah. Which is funny, right? Because growing up with a composer, you'd think that the composer would be your sure, biggest sure, musical yeah. instrument, especially in influence. Um, but it, wasn't, it didn't quite work like that. So. Sometimes that's part of the father-son yeah. dynamic, right? Whatever your dad does is uh, not what you want, right? <laughs> yeah, I think my dad is... Um, he was, especially when I was young and when he was like very actively composing, he's very sort of an introverted and kind of inwardly focused kind of guy mm-hmm. and so actually um he didn't like it if we played music in the house Interesting. Um, because it just got in it got in the way of what was the music that was in his head that sure. he was trying to write because he would sit at the piano all day and, and yeah so i i did i actually grew up listening to a lot less music than my peers um because it it was just an interruption to him How so and the same went the same would go for when i was playing the oboe i had to sort of find a time to practice when you couldn't hear it yeah <laughs> um so go out to a neighbor's yeah. barn or something huh yeah so i mean I, it's probably unfair to say he just tolerated my musical endeavors because but but they were def we definitely had to figure out how to mesh the two yeah it, it didn't just go like he was like yes you go for it you know play it all the day if you want to you know it was definitely not like that yeah yeah. It is interesting to think about like the difference between doing something as a hobby versus doing something professionally and how it could change the, <laughs> you know, the, the environment of a person's personal life and, by extension, the environment for their family as well. Um, yeah, I think you approach it very differently. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I've been piping for long enough now that I, that I pipe for money from time to time. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could say I pipe professionally. I don't know. I, I think it's more sort of incidental than professional but you know i I approach it in a professional manner but my livelihood has never depended on piping put it that way right so um uh, yeah i've I've often told customers when i've played for gigs and stuff and they ask about that kind of thing like no i have a day job this is basically a hobby that almost pays for itself that's yeah (laughs) i think that's fair to say (laughs) yeah yeah
Hello, friends. Just a quick note to make you aware, this podcast is something that I love doing, and I will keep doing it no matter what. But if you want to send me money, I won't say an A. The easiest way to do that is through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash droningonpodcast. We do regular drawings for bagpipey albums, books, sheet music, and more, including Droning On Swag. All patrons are in the figurative hat from whence the names of winners are drawn. And there are other benefits to members as well. They're all listed there at patreon.com slash droningonpodcast. And speaking of swag, another way to support the show is to buy cool stuff from my little online shop, bagpipeswag.com. There you can find Droning On stuff as well as other pipey and drummy things that my, uh, that my friends and I make. And if you feel so inclined, I genuinely invite you to follow the show on Facebook. It's super fun to have a way to interact over there, uh, to discuss past episodes, and I also uh, like to bounce ideas off of of you, my friends, uh, ask you for input on upcoming interviews, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd like to invite you to join in on virtual book clubs and uh, probably lots of other cool stuff that uh, I just haven't even thought of yet as of this recording. It's easy to find. Just get on Facebook and search Droning On Podcast. And if Instagram is more your jam, we're also on there at droning.on.podcast. You can also email the show at thedroningonpodcast at gmail.com. And links to these sites, social media accounts, and more are in the show notes. Leaving the show a positive rating and review helps others to find it, so feel free to do that. And thank you again for listening, you cool human you. Very cool. So, so then you end up back in Utah already having played the pipes. And so yeah. you land directly in Wasatch, or are you, are you floating by yourself for a little while before you join a band? Um, it, it wasn't very long. Um, it was actually, there was, a, there was a sort of a gap that was just brought on by circumstance. The reason that we moved back from Buffalo to Utah when we did is because my wife's mother became sick, and she had terminal cancer, and so, um, so she, she died not long after we moved here. Um, and, and it was rather sudden. We weren't expecting it. We just thought we were moving back, actually, to take care of her until she was better, and then we would kind of carry on in Utah, but... Um, because of because she died, there was you know a lot of stuff to take care of, yeah, of um, you know funeral and the estate and things like that. So, what I I had to sort of put off. I was kind of on a roll with piping before we left, um, and so I had to put that off. And then I had to you know I waited until the dust had settled on on all of the personal stuff mm-hmm. and family stuff. And then I thought, okay, well now I don't want to miss a beat here, so I'm going to get in back. I'll find out um, who I should play with, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I hadn't really, I'd sort of fallen into the band that I was in just because of, in Buffalo, because I'd gone to somebody, you know, at a pile of games. It was kind of random. Yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> just the, that, that the first person I talked to. Yeah, the very first person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so once I, so I was sort of, when I got to Utah, I thought, well, okay, well, this time I'm, I'm going to like be a little bit more kind of, uh, uh, analytical about yeah, how i pick a band the, take the same approach just walk yeah. up to somebody at a... no, i'm not just going to randomly walk up to someone this time i'm going to kind of so I actually um I, I contacted all the bands who had a presence online and yeah. you know this is like 2006 yeah. so um you know the internet's up and running by then but it's not i'm not sure that every band in utah had a presence or if they did i couldn't find them right yep, yep. <laughs> so i i did though go to several different bands rehearsals mm-hmm. and sort of scoped them out and tried to get a sense of you know the, each band, and uh, before I decided on a band. So, um, as you say, I, I I ended up picking Wasatch, but it, that was after I'd already been. I think I went down to a rehearsal with White Peaks. Met yeah, some of the people yeah. there. I know White Peaks. Um, I grew up down in Payson. Indeed, right? Yeah. So I live in South Jordan. So it turned out that that was kind of a long drive. Sure. I just, you yeah. Know, I, I, they were they were they were still to visit the people to meet the people at White Peaks. They were all really, really nice to me. Of course. Um, and I thought, wow, you know, this would be a great band. Um, to join um but when i thought 
at that time there was like massive construction on um, yeah on I fifteen, and I thought, wow, if every Thursday I have to drive forty miles through all this construction, both two ways, <laughs> right? It's forty miles um, in like two hours too. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that kind of weighed against it a bit. Otherwise, yeah. I might well have joined if they'd been like five minutes drive down the road. I probably would have jumped in with them. Yeah. Um, I went to visit the Salt Lake Scots. Um, I attended um, one of their rehearsals. Actually, I, I attended rehearsal. I tried to play along with each band. Yeah. Um, and I think they were. I think that was a bit unusual, maybe just to show up with pipes and start trying to play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I attended the Salt Lake Scots. They were all very nice to me as well. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Um, and I think that that time they had two bands. They, uh, they had like a grade three and a grade four band essentially. Um, I sort of sat in on each of the rehearsals with them. Um, I, for some reason, I I think that the Utah Pipe Band didn't have a web presence or something because for some reason I didn't I I was unaware of the existence of that band. Yeah, you managed to not find um, them. I, yeah, I, for some reason, yeah, I, I don't know that they def- definitely didn't have a web presence or I just was unable to it. find it because I was very bad at doing internet searches. But Jeeves <laughs> didn't, bit, didn't dish up the yeah ask Jeeves or yeah, Alta exactly. Vista at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so um. Uh, so um so they weren't in the in the in the lottery um through no fault of their own i think yeah. and then um and so then i i found my way to wasatch um it was the same deal i i found them online and there was a contact number you could call and so i called it i think it was jeff mann actually who oh, sure, was the sense. person at that time yeah. he said yeah we rehearse at Bannerful high school come along so i did that and actually I, like this probably sounds a bit like trivial but the, the actually there's a side factor <laughs> that kind of clinched it for me was when I went to their rehearsal at that time they had quite a lot of um members that had that were in their 30s and who had youngish kids oh yeah and one of the band parents and they because they rehearsed in the high school they had they used a whole suite of classrooms because Andrew you know who was the pipe major at the time he was a math teacher there and he had access to the whole math area so they had like four or five classrooms and one of the classrooms was a creche actually (laughs) For the children of, or the, you know, all, for all of the, um, the band members. A crash. I'm sorry, that's the English version of it. I, was, it was I, was gonna say, like I think a, I can, I think I can deduce what this is, but right, I think I see what like, you mean. Yeah, like a nursery, like, like childcare, yeah. childcare. Right? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, and my, I, I've been taking my kids to band practice in Buffalo for several years, actually. And they just had to sit there with headphones were, on or something. Huh? Well, yeah, they were little. They, they, um. You know, my wife was busy with her PhD, and so you know, I, that was uh, sort of part of like conditions, if you like, of me being able to pipe was that I would sort of take the kids out of her hair mm-hmm. and bring them along to band practice. And so um, I wanted to keep doing that when I got here. And one of the parents had activities lined up. It was quite organised. She had um, so your kids were doing things, puzzles mm. and drawing and stuff like that while you, while I was piping. So that sort of said, well, if Wasatch is going to also have childcare, yeah. <laughs> That's, then I'll go for that. Man, there's, there's so, a tactic right there. You got to provide your band members services. Child, I know. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, so there. So I, you know, I, I, I mean, I listened to the band play, and I thought, well, you know, they seem okay. They seem good. But really, that's remember, secondary this, to the fact that they provide childcare. They provide childcare. Yeah, you got to remember at this time, I was, you know, I was just barely into piping for you know, yeah. two or three years, and the band that I was playing with, you know, also did things like have keyboards and guitars with it. So, uh, you know, yeah. I didn't know a whole. I, I don't think I would have known how to tell what was, you know, how to dis- differentiate the quality of the bands. Actually, sure. all three of the bands um, that I went to uh, were better than the band in Buffalo. So they were all like quite con- competing and stuff, right? So exactly. So when I heard them play, I was like, "Whoa!" You know, these are all. This is whoever I join. It's going to be a step up. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I wasn't really like trying to f- 
figure out which one was the most proficient because they all sounded like quite a bit um, better than what I was used to. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and from the outside looking in, Wasatch, that, that's the thing that's always been impressive to me about Wasatch is like organization. Man, it's a, it's a well-oiled machine. I've said it too many times, I'm sure. But it doesn't surprise me that they would have a well-organized crash as well as this other thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, the, I'm, I'm uh, not sure. That, that isn't still in place, I'm, I have to hasten to add. I mean, well, let's, doesn't uh, mean that we couldn't do it again. Hey, but Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, let's, come on. Let's get this on, going. <laughs> you want to recruit yeah. some more people to build up the lower band so you can get that grade two pushed up a little exactly, further. Exactly, yeah. You know, let's have get some, some child care. <laughs> Get some childcare going. Yep. Yeah. Now, the, so you joined, if, and that was in 2006. If I'm remembering right, hadn't Wasatch yes. only just started like 2004 or so? Like pretty, pretty. That's not, correct. Not yeah. All that they, long I, I, I knew nothing. I knew nothing about this. Absolutely nothing. I knew. I didn't. I didn't bother to ask them if how how long they've been around. Sure. Um, sure. Why? Um, and I also, having just moved here, I knew nothing about the piping scene in Utah. I knew nothing about the history of piping in Utah. I just like. It was just a kind of "I'll pick you" kind of situation. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, but I'd imagine like you probably it. felt yeah. like you were coming into this extremely established thing. Which, to be fair, it was because a lot of these people had been piping together for a very long time, piping and drumming together. However, yeah, I guess you, uh, you kind of were yeah. on the ground floor to some degree. I mean, especially at this point, you've been with the band the majority of its existence. So, I know it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, I still it's, it there's it's still the case. I would say in Wasatch, there's there's a group of people who were there from the start. Mm -hmm who kind of carried over from, I guess they'd all been in the Utah Pipe Band prior mm -hmm. to that, pretty much. Um, so that group of people has a different institutional memory than anyone who came after that, mm, yeah, My, so yeah. myself included. So, um, you know, it's, it's not that there's a separation between any of us, um, but it does mean that you, you carry different um, memories into the band with you, right? Yeah, naturally. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so if, you've, if, if, you have, if you were one of the people that bridged that um, transition... Mm -hmm. I think your experience of Utah piping is probably different yeah. than uh, than um, than if you didn't, like yeah. myself, for example. Yeah, I think I've I've talked to a lot of people about it. That it it definitely it, it's definitely not just me. That uh, you know, a lot of other people have mentioned that they they also feel the same way. That like the Utah bagpiping scene has been um, surprisingly tribal and um, kind of. Uh, territorial in the past, but that it is not nearly so much so anymore. Definitely moving in the right direction of being friendly and all being one big family. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I mean, I don't know how much one person can do, but I've always tried to be as you know uh, friendly and integrative and you know as as I can. Right? Actually, I, Mark, I think things started to turn around in two thousand six. So it's uh oh okay. <laughs> I, I think you might actually be precisely the impetus for change, though. Go ahead. I don't know about that, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've never hesitated because I have no history with anybody here in Utah. Yeah. But both on a band and on a you know personal and a cultural level. Yeah, yeah. basically, Man, I'm like you're a, as much an, an an import as as you could be, aren't you? Totally. Yeah, I'm a completely clean slate in that yeah. sense. So you know, I try to always act you know with, to, without ever like taking on the baggage that anybody else might have for myself. Because yeah. Why would yeah. I? So yeah. Now, I, I don't want to skip through the other stuff, but I've been just, like, anxiously awaiting the chance to ask you what the heck you did. You, you mentioned in this write-up that you gave to me that you played pipes for, for a burlesque show. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, how did that... <laughs> Tell me all about this, man. 
Okay, well, I don't know if it's actually, it's, it's, it's probably less salacious than it sounds. So should we just um, leave it? Just be like, yes, I played Pipes for a burlesque show and just leave I it I have there. played Pipes for a burlesque show. It was fun. It was a good gig, actually. And um, yeah, so uh, I guess that what's more interesting about that is the reason why I was there in the first place. Because yeah. like, I, so I've tried not, when I mentioned that I've tried not to tie myself too much to, you know, the, you, to the, to a, the tribal scene, like you might say. Yeah. Um, I've also tried not to put all my eggs into one basket, piping wise. And so yeah. once I got to, um, once I got established in Wasatch, I still kind of missed that sort of freewheeling kind of piping that I'd been doing in Buffalo with the mm. band that you know had guitars and stuff. And um, so it was probably after a couple of more years, maybe two thousand seven or eight, mm-hmm. that I kind of, um, I kind of made the acquaintance of Mike Gibbs. Yeah. And got into got into the Heathen Highlanders, right? And so you know what they were doing was playing in bars, basically at that time. And you know that I'd never really done, but it was much more like what I'd been doing in Buffalo, and I kind of missed that, you know, kind of rough and ready piping. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I joined the Heathen Highlanders, and um, it was actually the, the burlesque gig that I mentioned was a gig that they got. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were asked to play at the opening of a burlesque show that was being set up, and in fact, the, the organizer of that, a woman called Jen Teresevich, is someone who I've known now for quite a few years. Not just through through the the sort of agency that she runs, which does these kind of um, you know exotic performers mm-hmm. type things. I guess I'm technically an exotic performer now. I've man, piped for her. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> all right. But yeah, on and off because of other connections, I've I've now known her for quite a few years. Yeah, she's a great person. But she was the one who organised that burlesque show, and had she did several of those actually. They were they, her group was called the Voodoo Darlings. And um, yeah, it was like it was a lot of fun actually. You know, it may sound a bit, it sounds more racy than it really is to be honest. It was. <laughs> Don't apologize for it, Mark. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's. it's I hope you have a not, mini kilt that you wear for those burlesque shows. I did. I wore my normal kilt. I'm oh, not I gonna. I will never want a mini kilt for anybody. <laughs> not even for no one. Money. No one needs to. No one needs to see that. I'll let Eric. I'll let Eric Evenhouse do that. There you go. He'd he'd do it, wouldn't he? He'd do it. Yeah, he'd do it. He probably has. He's probably waiting for somebody to ask. He's got one ready to I go. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> now, and just for anybody who doesn't know already, the Heathen Highlanders, I, I'm only vaguely aware. Like, I saw the cool video that they did a few years ago at um, Hale Center with the, mm-hmm. the stages rising out of the mist and stuff like that. Yes. Is it usually, like, around a quartet, quintet or so, mm-hmm. um, kind of a smaller group of pipes and drums, or is it pipes exclusively? What's kind of no, the makeup it, of the group? Pipes and drums and, um, you know, whoever else sort of is like hanging around. Yeah. I mean, if you ask Mike Gibbs, you know, he, he started it with Dave Glad quite a few years ago because um, I think both of them were become disenchanted with the band scene and they wanted a, an outlet for, you know, for their piping. And, so they became um, and then once they started doing that, it's like other people who were interested in sort of being involved with that kind of piping sort yeah. of attached themselves. And the, and the, it's not a... Um, it's not an official organization. It's more of a group that's sort of anchored by Mike and Dave. Yeah. I get the and impression that, it's kind of you know, fluid, like how many people yeah, are gig and know, stuff like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been a fairly regular member. Like, I, it's not really, a, I'm not really a member. I just, I, I play with them <laughs> yeah. um, for, for a decade or more now. So, um, and Hale, the video you mentioned was recorded on the back end of us being booked to play for Brigadoon. Yeah. Um, so Mike got that booking and we played for every performance of Brigadoon. We divvied it up amongst ourselves because it's yeah. just a solo piping gig. Um, so one or other of the Heathen Highlanders played at every performance and we, um, at the end of it all, we asked if we were, could use their stage to make that video. Yeah. 
Very I said cool yes. You know, it was some, yeah. I'll, I'll dig it up and yep. put a link in the show notes if anybody wants to see it. It's very cool. Really enjoyed. Oh, it was fun. Yeah, that that thing, that stage. Uh, the, in fact, during the performance, the opening scene, the the very the piper is the person who starts the performance. Oh, really? And you come up, you come up on that rotating stage from below the stage up through the mist, playing. Yeah, that's and cool. That's the opening of the show. It was, it was, I loved doing that. It was, was, was opening those shows in Brigadoon. That's yeah. been 10 years ago now almost. It's been surprising how long ago that was. Weird. Yeah, and that's, I don't know if anybody listening hasn't been to the Hale Center Theater here locally. It's, it's a theater in the round, and so it makes any production interesting in that right. way. Um, but yeah, I'll link to the video, that, and anybody can get an idea of what that stage space is like, and you can imagine, you'll be able to see what that visual would be like to open up a show. I imagine it's very dark, you know, lights only shining from the, from the fog and mist as it comes up. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it was great. Like the yeah, city of Brigadoon itself up here. In <laughs> exactly, yes, yeah. The... I, I did a Brigadoon I the, a little the... while ago, but it was a smaller local community theater, not nearly as much of a production, but it was it was fun, for sure. Lots of fun. I yeah, can imagine I... that Hillside would have been great. It's been a few years. I think they should do it again. It's probably time. Yeah. They do rotate their shows, so yeah. you know, it's not just their stage. <laughs> right, not just the stage, right. <laughs> um, well, they've got the new I, I would say, too. though, that... Exactly right. Yeah, that was before they moved to the new new yeah. facility. Yeah. Um, I would say though that like actually one of the ways I was able to meet people from other bands was actually playing in the Heathen Highlanders because um, as part of their rotating kind of roster of people, there are people who played with other bands, right? Oh, cool. um, yeah. Who come and play with the Heathen. So that's how I kind of met several other people who were connected to Utah mm-hmm. piping quite independently, you know, along the way. Yeah. You know, I met Ian Williams, for example. I think through the Heathen Highlanders probably mm-hmm. initially and. Um, uh, and also people like Jason Hansen, who plays drums, you know, yeah. top guy, right? And so, you know, all these people that, um, that were playing with other groups, uh, Jesse Fry, um, yeah, like all these great people that I play with in the Heathens are playing other bands. Yeah. Other well, bands than Wasatch, obviously. And, and you've got still other baskets that you're putting your bagpiping eggs into. Um, did you, you helped start the, the Peabrook Society here that I feel uh-huh. like, did that start right when COVID started? And is that part of what had made it so it kind of started and has kind of paused a bit or had it started before COVID? Oh, no, it started quite a long time before that. Yeah, uh, so that's that, just my it, awareness, I guess, that I... I yeah, it's it. been through, <laughs> like, it, it, I'm not sure I could say I started it because it didn't really continue. Um, um, we, we started a Peabrook Society in Utah, myself, um, Justin Howland, and uh, uh, Johnny Minor and a couple of other people kind of got together probably in about 2000 and I want to say nine maybe mm. um, just gathering at, uh, at each other's houses just to play over tunes really honestly that I think is before I even knew what a Pebro is and which is embarrassing to me because I've been playing pipes for years and years but I just yeah. didn't even know about the musical form until about 2010 or 11 yeah I sort of became aware of it my, my Although I played, although the band in Buffalo was kind of a freewheeling show band, the pipe major was also a fan of Peabrook, and so he did teach me a couple of grounds. He wasn't really like a Peabrook player, but he was a fan of it, I guess. Sure. So I, I was aware of the music and I knew about it, and I really liked it. Like it was because I've always liked odd, kind of weird music from when I was little. <laughs> um, you know, I don't really make a distinction between whether what it is really. If it's unusual and interesting to the ear, then I'm, I'm. It gets my attention, and so. Yeah, if bagpipes are niche, then Peabrook is niche within a niche. <laughs> it, absolutely, yeah. But I became instantly hooked when I first heard um, Peabrook. It, it, it was very much like kind of like that. I felt like it was like that sort of New York minimalist music that I'd always liked mm, that had these kind of repetitive, yeah. cyclical music. Um, 
but yeah, anyway, so a small group of us sort of started to um, uh, meet and play Pebra once a month. And that sort of, it, it went, it, but that, that burned quite strongly for about two or three years, I guess, but then it sort of fell off. And so then there was a fairly long period when we didn't do much. And then we kind of tried to resurrect it again, um, um, which is probably when you became aware of it. And then, you know, we also, when COVID hit, I also sort of started a, um, a, a Facebook page called COVID Kel Moore. Yes, I posted a, to it. Uh, yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. We uh, that was that turned out to be that just was what like was 20 needed. Twenty years ago, right? The... It just seems like it, doesn't it? It seems so long ago. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Um, so yeah, I've I've maintained so you know I've maintained kind of an interest in Peabrook and 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 gathering with people. Once again, it's a cross band venture though. You know, we, we've you know we've got people you know from the Salt Lake Scots you know um, right. who come and uh, it's um it's it's been a a nice way to meet people from other bands. Yeah. yeah. Oh, beautiful. So, I mean, have you ever competed with a Peabrook? Uh-huh, yes. Yeah, I haven't competed solo for a few years, but yeah, as soon as I was, as soon as I started competing, I started competing with Peabrook as soon as I was able to, yes. Yeah. I, I admire that you were able to love it immediately. It was very boring to me at first. It took Interesting, me, yeah. It took work for me to start loving it, and it was actually when I started hearing um, arrangements of Peabrook played with some supporting instruments, um, behind mm-hmm. it, that's when it clicked for me, and now I can enjoy a Peabrook just you know plain vanilla. But that's it, it took some work for me to get into it. Actually, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, actually, and uh, going back to your earlier comment, actually, when you were talking about folk music from that you know corner of Finland and Russia, mm-hmm. uh, there's you know there's a lot of drone-based um, kind of singing and other performances that come out of there. Yeah. I think that's some. Um, uh, I forget the names of some of these groups that, that do this though, but they're um, it's pretty interesting actually. A lot of this Nordic music. That right, is sort yeah. of like I think it's uh, it meshes with Peabrook very nicely actually you know it's like a, they're quite long songs or tunes and they kind of go round and round yeah yeah very much so yeah yeah I've I've wondered before about that if there's something about um, sort of the the sub the sub cut of society that ends up playing in pipe bands if we're all also drawn to basically any drone style music whether that be uh, you know, claw hammer banjo or throat singing or hurdy gurdies, you know, they, <laughs> these things are all kind of niche instruments again. So maybe it's an interest in the um, non standard instrument, but it, it also seems like maybe there's a theme here that has to do with the drone. There's something about that. I, I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, I, I've, I find myself drawn to it very much so. Yeah, and, um, you know, including some of these older, you know, types of bagpipes. And you mentioned hurdy gurdy as well. I mean, I would. It's sort of my future project bucket list thing is to build a hurdy gurdy and oh, learn how to play. Oh, Mark, it because, let me know um, if you ever yeah. get started because I, I, that's my, that's top of my list as well. Yeah, have I mean, you been aware t- of the, the nerdy gurdy kits that you can you can get woodcut and you can assemble them? I believe yeah, there are kit. Yeah, yeah. This is um, this is kind of on my list of things to do. So yeah, I'll um, I'll one of these days I think I'm going to do that. I love the sound of the hurdy gurdy. I think yeah. it's fascinating. Oh, me too. Yeah. Well, let me know if you dive into it. I'll do the same. And we can, I will uh, do. Yeah, we should start a group, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. music has been like with you throughout. And I wonder, do you feel like looking back, the, the fact that as a child, you mentioned that you, you, you sang in big places, Royal Albert Hall. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. David Gilmore played there. You, you got to stand there and play where he was, you know, and, and others. Of Pink Floyd? <laughs> yes, of Pink Floyd. That's, <laughs> all right, that's, this shows my, uh, this is how high my brows go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think of, I, I'm not sure I would associate 
the Royal Albert Hall. You're right. There, immediately. But <laughs> you're right. That was a bad association. For yes, <laughs> should have you know, gone like, to a chamber choir or something. Instead, uh, right? but, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like you've you've been in big places since before oh. you would have known known and like I imagine that as a child you wouldn't have known you should have been nervous. You know, like it would have just been like, <laughs> oh, this is where we're singing today. So yes. now today, when you go play Brigadoon or go do a gig with Heathen Highlanders, mm-hmm. have, do you ever get nervous, ever? Um, I, I always get nervous before any kind of public performance, mm. um, but I don't get, I never get excessively nervous, mm-hmm. should we say. So depending on what it is, you know, there's, there's a little flutter of nerves. Sure. Um, but I think you're right. Having been used to putting myself in front of a large audience from a young age, yeah. The, the, just the fact of the, there being an audience isn't particularly uh, scary to me, yeah. should we say. Um, you know, I, I think I sang my first solo in the church choir when I was probably eight. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then as those few years before my voice broke came along, I got into singing bigger and bigger things, very challenging stuff. And so I was confident in my ability to stand in front of an audience and do that. Later on, I had to learn how to speak in front of an audience like you know give do public speaking mm. and that was sort of i got nervous all over again but then figured out how to do public speaking mm. and so now you know i'm 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 generally the mc for our band's concerts well and um it, it makes sense you got a nice voice anyway but that, that <laughs> accent as well you know they, i think the band likes it yeah um yeah. and so most of the time for about the last 10 years i've been the mc for any shows that we've had yeah um and and what that's done is I've, I no longer have nerves over public speaking for it, shall we say. Yeah. Um, the Brigadoon thing was, that was nerve wracking. I'd never played, you know, in, on a, on a stage like that. So the first <laughs> yeah, couple, sure, that is kind of a yeah, unique so experience. The, <laughs> but once again, you know, the first couple of, after the first couple of shows were under my belt, I, yeah. I just, I looked forward to it. It was like, there's always a little flutter before you strike in, sure, you know, sure. just like, am I going to get this right? And so there, off you go. Same with solo piping. The first time I ever played a solo in a solo competition, yeah, which I think was probably at Salt Lake Games. I was pretty nervous, um, but then after I'd done it a couple of times, I'm like, this is great, this is just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever suffer from nerves once I've kind of got, um, you know, familiar with something. Yeah. Uh, when there's, when I, I do a lot of funerals, or I have done a lot of funerals over the years, mm-hmm. um, I'm always, little, you know, just when you're getting ready, that, that's probably the most... Um, nerve-wracking moment that I still have because it doesn't you only get one chance to do it mm-hmm. so you have to know that you're conf- yeah you have to know that you're confident enough to to do it yeah and that you know the that, that this is like the for me actually playing for funerals is probably the pinnacle of my piping I would say mm-hmm. actually despite all the other things I've done playing that someone would entrust you to do that yeah. is um it never ceases to be very um uh, humbling to mm-hmm. me and so I always want to do a good job. So, you know, I always show up as early as I possibly can. I'm prepped. I'm ready. I know anything that could possibly go wrong. I've got a backup plan for what would happen if it did. Mm-hmm. And I'm ready to roll. So, um, yeah. So nerves uh, these days are a lot less of an issue, I would say. Yeah. Than we ever will. That makes sense. I've, I've heard, like, well-performed musicians, by which I just mean people who have spent a lot of time in front of crowds talking about it as, like, if you spend enough hours... If, if you if if your playing is such that like your practice you could say that you're practicing in front of a crowd and that's not to say that you're like not polishing up your 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 you know your your playing you know so you do have a performance ready but it's just like 
rather than putting in a lot of hours practicing by yourself and then going to perform, you've put in so many hours performing that it's almost like that's, you know, um, as big a thing in terms of hours spent playing your instrument. You've spent a lot of hours playing your instrument in front of people. That's kind of the only way to kind of fight down the negative side of nerves. I, 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 yeah, I, I would fully agree with that. Yeah. I mean, per perhaps I'm, perhaps I'm disposed to it. You know, I, I, I know that there are people I've, I'm, familiar with pipers you know who've been playing for years mm -hmm. and still get terribly nervous mm -hmm. so um you know maybe um you know maybe it's not universal but i'm i count myself fortunate i guess that that doesn't happen to me yeah um, I, I mean i recall being very nervous actually when i first started playing with wasatch and i first started doing band uh competitions yeah sometimes uh, the nerves come from being with your peers right you don't want to let them down. yeah exactly yeah yeah when you, you know if you're if you screw up a solo you just crash and burn on your own yeah you know but if you have a giant early e or you're howling drone throughout the whole um run you know you can mess up your band's performance Take even if they were with you you can yeah and so that's actually that was pretty nerve-wracking for me until yeah. i once again until i'd done it enough that i was confident that you know and there's my instrument set up and that it wouldn't do any of those things yeah <laughs> At least, you know, then then you could just focus on not on getting the, the tunes right. But right. yeah, some of those basic things that you just don't want to mess up are a little bit nerve wracking. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to take away any of the weight of having said that uh, funerals are probably like the most meaningful or important thing, you know, and I, I can relate <laughs> to that. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. But I am curious of all the piping that you do on a regular basis. Is the Pride Parade the most fun? that you have because that <laughs> sure looks like a lot of fun it is a lot of fun the, yes the pride pipers has been an interesting gig as well that's another avenue of my piping and it's a funny thing really because that's really just once a year sometimes there's an extra sh performance associated with it but pretty much it's just once a year but we um, are we going on three years that COVID has canceled it or only two it's it's all uh, like a time warp so it's I'm been two sure. but if you know if it got if it if it doesn't make it again this year that will be three but yes it's been uh, just yeah. the last two years but yeah prior to that every year i've i've participated every year since i think 2009 mm -hmm. um and the first year we did it there were just two of us um it's just myself and sean newton oh good um, sean i went to high yeah. school sean. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. just sean me and then every year we've kind of added one or two more and, and now it's a full the, band was the clever name there from the beginning the pride pipers uh, i came up with it i don't remember i just it didn't seem it seemed pretty obvious to me actually i think i actually i think i did a search because i figured that it wasn't possible that there couldn't be another pride piper right. organization somewhere else in the world but i'm not sure that there is which is weird well um, my hat's off to you mark because between <laughs> I'm, I'm enthusiastic about folklore I'm an, I'm very enthusiastic about um about uh um alliteration, and so when and, and I really like I really like clever marketing and do, those three came together perfectly in that name. Okay. I love yeah. it. How about that? that yes, yeah. well done. Yeah. It's that's been a nice gig to do as well. Once again, it attracts people from. It's a different. That's a whole different vibe in and of itself, right? From, it's not like bar piping. Mm -hmm. It's not like playing for a funeral. Far from it. It's not like um. Uh, it's not like playing in front of a judge. Yeah, certainly um, not competition. It's, it's, yeah. Once again, you know, it's this kind of community outreach type of thing, yeah. I guess you could say. Um, but it's also, you know, it, it, because it's associated with the parade itself, you know, it's sort of a very kind of jubilant kind of mm -hmm. thing. But not not to um, to make it sound so trivial though, because you know, there's a there's a big reason why there are pride parades. <laughs> Right, and of you course, know that, yeah. and so I, you know, I take it very. I don't just show up flippantly. I take it very seriously because you know I see myself as an advocate, mm -hmm. and and it's not a whole lot different from my. I'm when I'm 
honored to be able to play for somebody's funeral. Yeah. You know, I'm honored to be able to play for the for the pride parade because of what it means. So, you know, and I I take that responsibility pretty seriously, you know, yeah. and so I want to put on a good show and I want to show solidarity, right? So, um that's why I do it. Um Yeah, you and, know, on the surface yeah. I wouldn't have thought of such a connection and and maybe I'm not even psychologically prepared to dive into the connection but um, you know, just because of like your somber attire and and repertoire at a funeral compared to you know the streamers and and colors of the pride mm-hmm. parade, but um, man, the connection between um, advocacy and funerals and uh, trying to avoid them in in a way that's a there uh-huh. there is a strong connection there, isn't there? Very much so. Yeah, very much so. So, you know, once again, I also like through my I guess through my piping with the Heathen Highlanders, that has sort of merged i would say into piping into doing a lot of honor guard um activities as yeah, well yeah. um which partly it's because mike um you know um, dave who's who's in the heathen highlanders his um works um is a is a corrections officer right he he works um for the police department yeah. um so therefore um you know i've i've ended up playing for a lot of high profile funerals with a bigger group with the honor guard mm. um with with the firefighting firefighters band yeah. And, um, you know, and so, you know, those are somber occasions where, once again, you, you want to do a good job, but it's not about you. It's about them. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to make sure that you're um, approaching it with the right mindset, I think. And, yeah. You want um, to do a good yeah. job, but you don't want to be stealing the show, as it were. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you want to make you want to enhance that that sad event. Mm-hmm. I parade, I think I, I bring in to it the same sort of sensibility in the sense that I want to enhance that joyful event yeah, um, yeah. whilst realizing, you know, that the reason that it happens in the first place is because of difficulties, I guess, yeah, people exactly. have had over the years, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so it, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Whenever I stand out in front of a crowd, you know, I try to contextualize, you know, what I'm doing yeah. and make sure I give it my best, yeah. Well, it, it may well be, Mark, that that is the perfect way to go out on this episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it was lovely. Just in oh. case, though, we, this might get tacked on. I, I often ask people how they feel about pineapple on pizza. So what the heck? How do you feel about pineapple on pizza? Uh, it's, um, it's, uh, it's not something I would default to. Yeah. Are you being um, careful because you know how popular <laughs> it is here in Utah? <laughs> Growing up in the UK, you learn to eat all sorts of garbage. <laughs> so, the, the, you know, and so your palate becomes kind of numbed, I would say. To, 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 so, I've uh, heard and food in the UK um, bashed before, but never quite so eloquently. That was yeah, crazy. so because of that, I could eat a piece of pizza with pineapple on it and not really think about it. But it's definitely... <laughs> It's definitely because not something. Worse. <laughs> it's not something I would seek out. Um, yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> when I was in a student, my buddy used to go to this pizza place in the next town over because they had a pizza that had chili on it. Oh wow! <laughs> it was called the Mexican Way. I remember it, and um, it was just yeah. um, it was just a pizza covered in chili, basically. And so he thought it was the best thing ever. And I actually, I think, he would come back with that and with pizza that had pineapple on it. So you know, there was your choice between chili pizza or pineapple pizza. So